Do you ever dream, Forrest, about who you're going to be? Forrest replied, who I'm going to be? Jenny said, yeah. Forrest said, aren't, aren't I going to be me? Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. Additionally, joining us as guests this week are... Steve. Nick. Thanks for joining us. Steve has joined us for The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain and Chinatown. Nick works with KJ's wife and brought excellent Chicago pizza to KJ's household. Nick's birds, Mug and Bean, have also visited the Brown House for an extended period of time. This is just for KJ. Chirp, chirp. Steve and Nick conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1994, where, on average, baby boomers are 39 years old. The perfect age to watch Robert Zemeckis' movie, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump was released in theaters alongside Three Ninjas Kickback, A Million to One, and even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Actually, movies you may remember include The Flintstones, City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold, True Lies, and The Lion King. Nick will be quizzing us today. Nick, what is Forrest Gump all about? Forrest Gump may not be the smartest man alive, but he sure had an exciting and impactful life. I mean, it's crazy the different journeys he goes through throughout his whole life. His only downfall is his, I guess, love for his best friend and future hopeful companion, Jenny. But I think we'll get into that a little bit more in the show. Tom, if you only had one word to describe Forrest Gump, what would it be? Picaresque, Steve. Destiny, Nick. Inspiring. And my word would be impactful. It's time for question one. I'm going to change it up a little bit this week in the sense that I'm going to save the main characters for round two. So just want to give a heads up. uh, We will be going to them in more depth during that part of the episode. So I thought I'd start it on a more light note. How many ways can you prepare shrimp? Closest without going over will win. Ooh, locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Okay, Nick, I'm going to have you start us off. One of my favorite scenes. Um, I'm going to go with 20 ways that you can prepare shrimp. Okay, Nick's locked in with 20. Steve, what did you lock in with? I locked in with 1,000. Okay. Tom? I locked in with 16. Well, starting off with one point is Nick. He is very, very close. 
the actual amount was 21. And I'm sure you and all our listeners would like to know all of the ways they are barbecue, boil. Well, he says it, boil it, barbecue, but I'm going to go fast. Barbecue, boil, broil, bake, saute, shrimp kebab, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried, pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. I I attempted to count it when he <laughs> it, and I still got it wrong. I... I wrongly thought thought that number was from a line that evidently yeah. was not there when he I thought in my mind he said to him, There's a thousand ways you could prepare shrimp, not not from the actual count. So I would that, you know, I was obviously way off. But uh that scene does go amazing. on for a few minutes. <laughs> it does. It does. Right. I feel like I was similar to Tom though. Like I wanted to stop and actually count and I'm down. Yeah. What have I actually done? That's a great question. Yeah. Now, of course, I don't want to sit here and talk about shrimp. I do want to talk about supporting characters. I think they're a critical point to this film. Any of the ones you want to talk about, which ones were strong, which ones were weak, let's talk about support. Well, they're all sort of recognizable types, right? With the exception of Lieutenant Dan, everybody else is, um, is the type of character you would encounter in an adventure like this, right? So you have the, um, the kind of the helpful friend, um, you have the the caring mother. You have the sort of uh, beautiful love interest who is sometimes innocent, sometimes less so. There's the the kind of um, kind of rough and tumble leader. There's usually also a villain. I think that what's interesting about this particular movie is there isn't exactly a villain that that we encounter. Um, anything not really like it. The closest maybe Jenny's boyfriend. Um, I was going to say Jenny herself, but it's not so much villain, but just that uh, negative influence yeah. in his life. But I yeah. do understand what you're saying. <laughs> it kind of sucks and the movie doesn't seem to realize it. <laughs> but uh, the, the characters kind of fall into types. And part of the, the intention of the movie is that we can see him sort of go into individual episodes and meet these people in an individual episode. So it ends up being like a stream of different occurrences. I guess going off of that, like I, I definitely viewed Jenny as your damsel in distress, like your sort of villain, like she encounters all the negative throughout the film. Um, but yeah, I agree 100% with Tom, like there's every stage had like somebody to go off of. I'm taking, I think the supporting cast, right, helps tell this story with these threads. And as I looked at it this time, I see Bubba as this sort of surrogate Jenny starts by him offering him a seat on the bus the same way Jenny did and the innocence that he had and the way they, you know, the way he loves Bubba. He doesn't say it in those words, but his affection for Bubba through that time, it's almost like he exchanged, you know, Bubba was there when Jenny was not there. Okay. And they did that thing together and the way Bubba's influence was still there, you know, with after he died, being this driving force for the whole thing with the shrimping later and visiting um, his mother. It, the, the Jenny character is very interesting because she could at once be so sweet and caring with him and then other times just obviously just living her own troubled life and also 
you know, not being there for him. And I also was interested in how you have the main character and these supporting characters interacting with this thread of things that keep happening. The assassination attempts keep happening and all these other things keep happening. Um, and it seemed to hand it off one to the other, which I, you know, which I think worked pretty well. Going back to your thoughts about the connection, if you will, between how Jenny was in his life and Bubba, he also loses them frequently. And in Bubba's case, permanently. Well, later, Jenny as well. <laughs> but it, it seems to have that same flow. So I do, I do think you're onto something there. Yeah, the, the, the assassinations are an odd detail in it. I'm not entirely sure what they're doing in the movie or what they're trying to give us other than timestamps in, in this history. But it's it's an odd way of streaming things together. I don't quite know what to make of it. I don't know if the movie does either. I thought it just put historical context to what was going on in the world around the time he was doing, I don't want to say fantastical things, but he definitely has quite a journey in his life for someone who is supposed to be more, and for lack of a better term, in, in this movie, simple-minded. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy, the path. But I thought it was just for context. Yeah, it's, it's odd that they choose assassination. No, I, assassination I, attempts. Yeah, I, I agree it. with Tom on this because there were other cues, right? There's mm -hmm. musical cues. There's presidential cues because he he fantastically winds up meeting multiple presidents and there's his time in school versus college versus the army. And then threaded along with this is, um, you know, American history through the history of assassination attempts. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting threading that in and yeah, I'm not really sure, but um, it was interesting. On the same lines too, I think one of the assassinations, it may have been Kennedy's was just on the background in the TV. Like they didn't even, like it wasn't big. It was just like playing in the background. They mentioned both of them. They mentioned Kennedy and RFK uh, in the same way. They don't. They don't show it in the way they do with uh, with Wallace. Wallace, but, correct. Um, they they do mention like then someone shot that man, and then someone shot his brother too. You know that that type of thing. Um, and John that. Lennon and. Was Gerald Ford in there also? Gerald Ford, yeah, because you get uh, squeaky, squeaky from. That's, that's why we remember. Yeah. Oh my uh, goodness. Other, otherwise, we'd never remember Gerald. We'd never remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his presidency at all. Um, but <laughs> I mean, we get a few of them, but it, it's one of these details in the movie where I'm like, I don't really know what this is contributing, or why this is here. Why? Why this particular weirdness? It's time for question two. The way this question is going to work is whoever gets the most names correct and locations will get the point. Okay. And you'll understand in a second. Who were some of America's best young men who served in the war with force, specifically the ones with names from regions? Okay. I think I got it. Oh, locked in. Struggling on this one, but I'm locked in too. I'm locked in. Okay, Steve, start us up. You got to love my questions, right? <laughs> I love the question, and I absolutely love that scene. But my my memory for the details, I remember someone's named someone named Dallas, someone named Tex, uh, 
and I simply can't remember any of the other ones. I'm, I'm drawing a blank, unfortunately. Okay. And we're on an honor system with the locked in code here. So we're going to move on to Nick. Kind of similar with Steve here. I remember the scene. Um, I, I thought it was Texas. And that's the only one that I could remember. Tex, Texas, something along those lines. Okay, Tom, are you going to school us all? I had Dallas from Cleveland. I had Cleveland from Detroit and Tex from, well, I don't know where Tex is from. Did I, did I get it? <laughs> I'm trying to think if you got more right than Steve. Well, Dallas and Cleveland were both. I know Cleveland. No, no, he, Cleveland, he definitely got more right. I think you right. got more. You got more right. Okay. And Tex so point, was a guy, right? The point is going to go to Tom, but I'll give you the... Uh, the actual answers because this is critical to the film <laughs> i i didn't get the cleveland and detroit part so i should almost not get any points uh, so you know i knew their names but not where they were from tom got dallas correct dallas was from phoenix though oh, cleveland okay. was from detroit and tex well i don't remember where he's from <laughs> it's a brilliant brilliant uh part of the movie there and my segues are wonderful as usual. We started a little bit down this road in the first question, but it's okay. We can continue. I wanted to talk about the historical references and we don't have to just talk about assassinations, <laughs> but some of the other things that happen in his life that are, I guess, landmarks in American history. I, I, I'll start with the one that I really, I remember when I, when I first saw it that I really thought was, I mean, obviously the, Special effects with this made this really something special. But that scene where I think it was Wallace was there trying to prevent um, um, black students from attending. And he's standing, standing there and reacts to like, why do we care about this? And, you know, this man in the movie says in a very inappropriate thing that we would say today, he says they want to let coons in the school. And he goes, raccoons. Well, mama, when she has that we just she just chases him out like he doesn't even understand <laughs> no and no then idea. when they do march in and 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 the coaches they they cut to the coaches of the team looking on in horror as he walks in right behind them and kind of like waves and just walks into school you know right behind him that was one of those i mean there's a number of these historical events he hands the student her notebook that's actually what that's right she that dropped scene. it and he hands yeah. it to her which i yeah. i thought was great along with um Johnson asking him where he got hit and he said in the buttocks and he shows him, you know, pulls his pants down and shows him. Um, those were two of my favorites. What I will say that you brought up, maybe it doesn't shine today if someone hadn't watched this back in the day, but those were big. That was a big deal. That was like a big, like um, CGI development yes. at that time, having him inserted. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. I get, <laughs> my, my brain is fried here. I thought you meant the historical circumstances. No, 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 the special effects, exactly. The special effects, like that was a big deal back then. Kudos to Tom for picking that up though. Is yeah, I I was ready for you to say, you know, this was a big deal addressing race like this, even in the early. <laughs> no, I'm not going down that path. Like the way they got his face in there with the rest of the team with the uh, President Kennedy. That was a big deal, the special effects across the they whole were. movie. The that time, that jumped were. out at a lot of people when they saw this film. I think it really made it stand out. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, going off to of what Steve said, like taking that scene and then segueing in, I think it was the very next one where they moved into the locker room and he comes in right behind the coaches who I believe were watching it on TV. And again, just totally oblivious to, to what was happening. But I had that down um, when the students were going into the university of Alabama 
And then the uh, Dr. Pepper scene from when he was visiting the White House, again, similar, just like a totally, totally oblivious to where he is, like what an honor it is to be in front of the president. And then later on down the movie, he mentions, oh yeah, this is my second time. Like this was absolutely nothing. Well, those Dr. Peppers were free. I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you drink as much as you could? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, and again, I know it has nothing to do with where we are with special effects today, but looking at the time, like how they were able to insert him, Mad Lib, the mouths of the presidents and insert Elvis Presley in there. Like I thought that was impressive for the time period. That was possibly going to be a question. What was the first like celebrity or yep. historical person that came up? And it's kind of funny that he learned how to dance from him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of the things that he takes credit for. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I'm not so like getting back to that that scene where he he gives the young lady her notebook when they're going in, right? What is that doing in the like? It, it seems like that they, they, there's a sort of cuteness to them, but I don't follow the point of them being. I mean, is is it this this idea that like you know life is a tale told by an idiot filled with sound and fury signifying nothing? The the famous Macbeth quote. Um, I've, things like that confused me more more than anything because there's no real satire there. There's no um, there's no kind of even social commentary. It's just sort of the humor of somebody bumbling through life. I, 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 you know, I, I don't really know what what those scenes are doing, right? You know what I mean? Like it it has the feel of a satire but they're not satirizing anything or it has a feel of a parody, but they're not parodying anything. I think you could see a social commentary there. He was oblivious to what was going on and he was just treating the person as he would treat any other person. That's why I think there actually was a social commentary, maybe not a satire. What is that? I do think there was a social commentary. What is the the commentary that we should treat everybody as if? Yes, they were there, that scene. And I don't want to go too deep into this, but that scene was saying that we're not all equal. And his action was stating that we are all equal. I would do this for anybody. If they drop something, I would give. So that was my take on that, which may be. And we're supposed uh, to take that to like the president and. No, no, I'm just saying within that specific scene. Yeah, I'm just saying within that specific scene, I think that was the, the purpose of that interaction. I'm not saying it carried the movie. I'm just saying, yeah. This is the one thing when I gave it, I mean, because if you're listening to my comments, I mean, there's a lot of the movie that I liked. The word I use, and we've we've talked about this before in other movies, is whether, whether this is the right word or not. A lot of these things are campy. They're, they're, they're campy. And I think there's parts of the movies where the parts of this movie where the camp is is getting really heavy or repetitive in the same. And I think, I think that's part of it is, you know, there is a constant chain of the fact that, I mean, it's even one of the themes of the movies that in his limited mental capacity, he winds up being someone with good values. Okay. So that's, I, you know, we get that. The question is for some, and, and and I think this points towards what Tom's saying. Okay, he was there. He didn't think it was um, a big deal, them being in the school, even though he, he honestly doesn't just under, he doesn't understand why you wouldn't want people just because of their race in the school. And then on top of that, we layer on that, 
this incredibly kind act of bending down and picking up her notebook. I think it's just added on. And I think just sometimes the camp in the movie is a little, um, a little more heavy handed than in other places. It's still an enjoyable watch. You know, you don't mind seeing him do good things and seeing people that don't have good values get angry. I mean, that's just at a gut level kind of, you know, sadistically fun, (laughs) but, um, but I think that's the one thing that, 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 that's, you know, some people think is um, might be a little too much at times. I treat it very similarly when I watched uh, Big Fish, except in Big Fish, the fantastical is supposed to be exaggerations of life, where in this film, they're treating it as fact, like this actually did happen. So, right. Hey, you met the president once, twice, three times. The lights from the Watergate burglars woke you up. You know, it, it, you know and I always go back, my famous statement is always that, you know, I'm an applied physicist and I understand lightsabers are, are not real. Okay. They can't be real, but that's okay. Cause I enjoyed the movie and watch. Don't tell me that. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Forget. I said that uh, and, to, and anyone young listening, but, um, I'm okay with camp and I'm okay with going along with the fantastical, I, but, but exactly to what you just said, if it's not supposed to be an exaggeration and it is supposed to be kind of literal at times, sometimes that, that coincidence, you know, tests your, you know, tests your belief, tests your mind. It seems that it's a personal opinion on this because you either find it endearing or it's off-putting is kind of the vibe I'm getting from this conversation. I feel like I'm leaning more towards the endearing part, but I'm on that side too. Yeah. (laughs) I totally, totally understand and, and appreciate the other side, but in, in comparison, Nick, as you said to big fish, like that's way exaggerated. So the repetition that you see here, like Steve said, like once is enough in, in some situations, because you do see that play out a lot. The, the thing with Big Fish, Big Fish's theme is that um, the stories we tell, the fictions we tell are more real than reality, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the idea. The, the myth matters more than the, the day-to-day affairs. With, with Gump, it's the the great events are, are not fantastical. Everything that happens in this movie, everything historically actually did happen. Gump is, Gump is not a real person, but it, it you know he his background is actually there um but it seems as if american history through these volatile times is being observed by a person who has really no capacity to understand significance except in a very small sphere that 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 kind of reads like a satire right as if history itself is something that lacks significance or, or we don't understand the significance or something like that. There just, there seems to be so much more that's going on than what is, I think, very obvious and very beautiful in Big Fish. Um, and that's what kind of bothers me about the movie. Not that, and as a consequence of that, because there seems to be so much of this satirical energy and it, it doesn't really add to anything. The kind of sentimental stuff and the endearing stuff, well, certainly effective at times, actually sometimes feels, it kind of rings somewhat false to me as if I'm being set up more than you know diving into it. 
Well, we will explore more of that after these messages. Hello, and, and welcome, welcome back, welcome back to B-Side. To B-Side. Finally, it is B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams. Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And today I'm going to be talking about a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side, wherever you listen to Talking Pictures Trivia. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. If you could write your own sequel for Forrest Gump, what would it be? So um, it's hard to think. For me, it was hard to think of a sequel for this kind of movie. It definitely had a definite beginning, a definite end. Um, I was aware that a a sequel was actually written, which um, I think for the positive nature of this film, it was a good thing. It was never done. It was basically going to be more of the same. Uh, Forrest keeps um, having adventures. Um, There was going to be a scene where someone he was romantically involved with was actually in the Oklahoma City bombing and uh, other things. And and I don't know if you, you all know that story, but the project got shelved because they were actually dealing with the final treatment right as 9-11 happened. And they said, this is just oh boy, way too trivial uh, given the time we're in now. And it just never got picked up again. Um, but rather of a continuation, what I was thinking if I had a blank piece of paper would be a film that was almost in a way an opposite premise where Forrest's son, Forrest, um, who's brilliant, very intelligent, um, also lives a life that might be on the edge of influencers, on the edge of powerful people and big events. Um, And although he has some of the solutions, people um, aren't listening to him. He's not able to have any effect, even though he has um, some of the He's so brilliant that he could come up with some of these solutions to social problems or other things. And sort of the hook and the fun part of the sequel would be that he actually finds a way or somebody finds him and he winds up solving a big problem and then becomes famous or significant, if not famous, for exactly the opposite reason his father did, which is that he's his mind is able to have like this positive effect on a number of major world events or something like that. Now, if you tack on that, he can also see dead people. I think I might be sold on this one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, That's all I could think of when yes. I saw him in this film. Yes. The Sixth Sense. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to ignore it. Yeah. You see that face and that's exactly what you think of for sure. I remember watching this with my wife and that was the first thing just looking through the credits and who was in this she was like wait a second (laughs) who was actually in this movie just at the end there just at the end so that's one perspective i was thinking the sun as well might be a way to uh get a sequel going something kind of similar what you were saying Uh, how about you nick 
So yeah, I was kind of going off of the sun as well. Um, probably an unpopular opinion on this, but I would honestly kind of just remake the film, but from the sun's perspective. So continue it on, um, kind of drop Forrest, the main character in this film and just focus on Forrest Gump Jr. Um, and literally and figuratively, just the other end of the spectrum as Steven mentioned previously as well, just extremely smart, but hitting I would say different milestones throughout the millennial um, time period and just focus on other big, big items. Um, I didn't have him solving a big problem as Stephen mentioned, but I don't think that'd be a bad, bad idea at all. Um, no real, I guess, plot to go off of is anything different from Forrest Gump. Well, I was going to say there's only a loose thread pulling this one yeah, together too. Exactly. So, it's, so I figured it's, I was right with you. Yeah, you probably can model well <laughs> for that. I'm wondering, if I can somehow do a crossover between uh, Forrest Sr. and the Dumb and Dumber franchise, because they both came out in 1994. I, I don't know if there's a way for me to uh, <laughs> Tie the take two. advantage of the cachet <laughs> of both, because they did not do a good job of that when they did revisit uh, that, that universe. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't put it past Hollywood. If there's That'd a way. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, actually in the, in the book, Forrest Gump is a, um, mathematical genius and chess prodigy. Uh, he just has idiot savant syndrome or whatever they call that. Tom, did you read the book? I haven't. I've read parts of it. it, it it's supposedly not very good. Okay. Uh, but it is, it, it's very different from what, I, uh, what I've read of, the, you know, the parts I've read of it. There's, Forrest Gump is um, rather foul-mouthed. Um, okay. Uh, likes to uh, have, have his sex, likes... We, I love the way you phrased that. Uh, <laughs> he, I think he gets around a little bit. Um, oh, got it. Yeah. More of a Jenny. Yeah. He ends up at the end leaving Jenny and Forrest Jr. And he's like, they'll be better off without me. Yeah. It's, 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 that's more, really not the film. Right. No. It's, that's totally really, different. yeah, sure. The, the, the book is very satirical. And it's also, um, the author is trying to do this thing. My word was picturesque, which mm -hmm. is a, I don't know if anybody knows that, that genre of, of novel, but it's, it's actually comes from the golden age of Spain. And it's a type of novel, Picaro is like a rogue person. And it's these novels, Tom Jones is a very famous version of this, where characters just kind of, usually a man who's kind of somewhat sexually uh, explorative, uh, goes around and just goes to different episodes. He just kind of wanders from place to place. And there's these different episodes um, with this guy who's kind of always getting into trouble. He's always in bed with the wife of someone and he's stealing something by accident. He's usually not a criminal. He's just kind of a, a bad boy. Um, but there's usually in these books like a very satirical bite to them. Uh, Don Quixote is sort of like that. Say, yeah. Yeah. Don Quixote comes, Don Quixote comes out at, at the end of that kind of error. The first one was called Lazarillo de Tormest from 1554. And so Quixote obviously yeah, comes with there. Um, but with Quixote, you get that kind of like satire on romance, right? That type of thing. There's a reason for the madness, at least in the themes. And it's, it's, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case in the movie. No, which is interesting to hear that it is in the book because you're describing him in the book and it's like, this doesn't sound like the forest that we know. Like, I wonder yeah. if it biases your view of the movie too when you know what the other character of forest is supposed to be like. I should yeah. read the book then, I may love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for question three. 
After how much time did Forrest decide to stop running? The closest will get the points. Locked in. I, I remember this one. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Locked in. I, I'm having an evening. I haven't the faintest clue. <laughs> I'm I'm going to I'm locked in. Always, yeah, I was gonna say you can I'm locked guess. in. Okay. Start us off, Steve. Start strong. Three years. Okay. I believe it was Nick. Was Nick next? Okay, um, Nick. I yep. So I said he stopped running after crossing the Mississippi or the US four times. I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, but I think that's what I'm going with. Okay. And Tom. I had three, two, 14, 16. Three years, two months, 14 days, 16 hours. Is that okay. right? Tom is on the money. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm I sorry about the Mississippi four times or whatever. No, you're fine. <laughs> Tom has got it. Tom, that is outstanding. Tom just knows how what questions I might ask. Yeah. <laughs> like that was me. I like counted and memorized how many times he prepared shrimp and I just yeah, and that's an uh, that, that's a good that's a good question thing when it came up. I I'm actually absolutely thrilled. I was like in the right ballpark. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to be. That was a good guess. I thought you had a like legitimate shot there. Three years. I mean, here I am. I'm so confident. I was. <laughs> Go back, Nick. Though. Well, I said time. I said the I question was how much time. That's what got you. Uh, it, okay. it was it's not distance, not landmarks. <laughs> Devil's in the details. Exactly. So the moment you've all been waiting for, let's talk about Forrest Gump. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to save it for the end because I, I didn't want to have uh, uh, Forrest Gump and Jenny in the one point question round. So we've talked about him a bit, but really go into it. Good parts of the character, character development, lack thereof. Yeah, I was looking for this genre. I don't know if anybody can can I can find another example of it of the blank slate protagonist against which action occurs, the person who seems to, to miss everything or not see what's happening while catastrophe and action occurs all around them. I can't think of another example of this. So somebody who's kind of out there looking for adventure and uh, they, they just don't see it or they're a person who isn't receptive in some way to the world in front of them. I, that seemed what I was thinking of Forrest, because again, I, I just don't, he, he's a lovely person and uh, his moments with Jenny when he's frustrated or put into a, into a corner, I think are the, the best moments in the movie. When he tells Jenny, I, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is, or especially when he thinks about his son, is my son like me or is he smart? Uh, those are, I think the best, moments in the film um because usually Forrest is he's almost played for a joke a lot of the time like his his disability kind of it's it's something we laugh at or are expected to and it's it's a little like I I don't again I, I just don't quite know why I guess going off the blank slate idea like I just think which they referenced a few times is curious George so just taking it back to the childhood book like mm. They reference it, I think, as his favorite book. They open, they close it with it, like, just curious, like, always looking into something. Um, but that, too, like, 
I agree, like the love scenes that he has and not like romantic, but like friend, friendship, whatever it may be, like the scene with when Bubba's dying, like regretting like what his last words were to him, um, looking at Lieutenant Dan, like the relationship that they have, like there's just a lot of like friendship and compassion there within him as an individual. When I think about Farr's character, I think about the, the scene near the end where he's talking to um, Jenny's grave and he he's actually having sort of this existential thought of is everything destiny or are we just blowing in the wind randomly? Most of the movie, you know, it walks a really tight line when part someone part of someone's character in a movie involves a disability. Okay, because there's there's the innocence because he's from Greenbow, Alabama. The innocence he would share with Bubba, who is not uh, disabled, you're led to believe. And then the part of the innocence that's from literally him standing on the football field looking this way when the ball is coming at him. And then they tell him, run with the ball or run with the gun or do something later. Or conversations that are fruitful with Lieutenant Dan when they are absolutely not talking the same language, you know, when they're in that bar that, that is one part of the movie. That's really, you know, it's gritty and you can really feel it when he goes to New York and it's wet and it's dirty and they're in that dirty bar and his dirty apartment. And he says, you become a shrimp captain. Then, then I'll come down and be your first mate. And he's not being at that time being serious. He's being, He's making the point, you're never going to do that. So I'm not going to have to. He even follows it up with something else. An astronaut. More, he's going to be an astronaut. astronaut. Right. More fantastical. Yet when he says that, what as far as far says, okay. Like he just, you know, has that. So uh, I think the character, it is some of this blank slate. It's what's happening. And even things that are acting on him and reacting to him, even though he's just sort of, moseying along and whether being like him um leads him to a place because that's that's it's destiny that he would be in those places and experience those things or whether he's that feather just blowing around in the wind is left for you to think about you know and i think that's that's the part of the character for me anyway his character that's that's interesting I would say that is that loose thread that ties this whole movie together. This subtle idea of is this destiny or is he choosing his own path? And I do think they leave it up to interpretation. That's as um, artsy or as deep as you get in this film. They just kind of peppered that in every once. I think his mother sets the tone with that and he brings it up a few other times. But that I'm glad you used those words. That, that's something that yeah. is that definition of the thread <laughs> and the part when it and the part where it bubbles up really is when lieutenant dan is furious at him because he's like i was supposed to die that was my destiny so it's clear what he thinks it, him coming out of the war was not supposed to be some random thing this was his destiny that if he was going to be in that situation he was going to die like his know, relatives, died his relatives, which they war. managed to make that into something funny, as they show all of them, or oh all him, all dying, which was. But um, I feel like it loosens up so quickly. Like in the next scene, where he's uh, when they leave the bar and they're in the bedroom with with the two women, 
Um, and he and Dan realizes that they have a lot of similarities. And one of them asks if Forrest is stupid and like the whole debacle starts and Yeah, like, he agree. really defends him. Yeah. yeah. Like to yeah. me, that was the turning point in that I, relationship. I don't remember the first girl's name. I just remember that the second girl's name was Long Legs Lenore. <laughs> And then I don't know why. I can't remember things like that. One many... stuck with you, Steve. That huh? stuck with me. Not the shrimp dishes, not the length of running, but long legs, Lenore. Yeah, probably means you're a better man than I am. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> it's time for question four. Aside from Forrest Jr., what was the one gift Jenny gave Forrest? A physical possession. Don't cheap out and call out love or something like that. Locked in. This is like me, Tom. For movies that aren't my favorite, I get them all right. (laughs) This movie has a lot of facts. That's what makes it a good trivia thing. There was a lot to choose from. Yes, there was a lot. Usually we have the problem of where do I get my questions from? There was (laughs) many, many, many different things. The problem with Kundun. It's like this like airy, mystical experience. It's like, oh God, this, what am I going to ask? I'm locked in. I'm locked in. Okay, Steve, you're going to start us up. Oh, no, I won't. Oh, wait, wait, because... wait. Before we do that, I do want to say, in case people have similar answers, the most descriptive will get the point, two points. Okay, so the one that explains what it is the best. So sorry, Steve, if that changes anything or for that any does, of you. That just does change. I'll just make the sentence a little longer. <laughs> okay. I have absolutely no idea, period. <laughs> You're about to ace this episode. I'm about the big <laughs> goose egg. I'm sorry, I just absolutely don't remember. Okay, I'm going to move over to Nick. I'm worried Tom's going to be more descriptive. Um, Jenny got him a pair of white Nike running shoes. Tom. I had white Nike running shoes and I, I had the Nike thing was red. Does that make Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it was a red swoosh. You yeah. win <laughs> with adjectives. Uh, that doesn't seem particularly fair that the last person <laughs> I just have to give one more if it helps I was going to say if it helps even if he got the point you still took down the episode oh, all right. <laughs> so Tom is going to take that one down but I really just use this as a cheap segue to get to Jenny okay now when I watch this film I have a hate hate and then a minor compassion love for Jenny in this film. For most of the movies, she just annoys the heck out of me. But we have to talk about her because she really is that, dare I say, carrot at the end of the stick for for Forrest that kind of keeps him grounded or always trying to better himself or get back home or get to her. So let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of Jenny. I think that's a perfect way to describe her because they describe them as peas and carrots, I believe. But yeah, I mean, just a vagabond, like always changing, always just flowing in the wind, like the the feather we referenced earlier. But I really felt like she hit like all the bad, bad parts of of life. Like just kind of like you like you said, you love to hate her. Like I don't I don't have anything good to say. There's a lot of problems there. I mean, first of all, we have this kind of simple root cause to her problems being the the molestation on the part of her father which seems 
it feels real cheap, you know, that, that we have this, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, like undergraduate psychology, right? Forrest's taken with her, Forrest being taken with her, we're supposed to accept as an honest and, and loving thing. It's, it's a little weird that he's been a, kind of obsessing about this girl since what, age, age six or something like that. Uh, it seems to reflect more on his his disability than some sort of star-crossed lovers situation. And then her behavior, we're led to believe, is is not her fault because of her her problems that that started with her father, and that she is this sort of great soul that uh, that needs to just come home and realize that you know that that you are supposed to remain, I guess, in Greenbow and, and relax or, or settle down. Um, even though there's really nothing the movie gives us that, that says why, why she should do that. Right. Why should she like settle down with Forrest there, you know, because he doesn't hit her or isn't a eighties drug dealer. You know, it, it's, it's a, it's an, odd little relationship and the movie seems to treat it as honest uh, she seems to actually be more of the picaro character she seems to be more like tom jones than than actually forest yeah i struggle with uh you know there is the the very troubled childhood and then there's you know he's going away in the army but then there's the you know there's that which is a real moment when he is up there um uh you know with abby hoffman ostensibly abby hoffman and he you know doesn't even realize that they've got him up there talking against the war even though he's just being him and he's being honest and then you hear that little voice forest from like across the reflecting pool at, at the washington monument and they run to each other in a john and marcia moment and meet in the water that so and then it it and then it's that inevitable uh tarnishing of what's going on happens they then they're walking and they're talking and she's i'm doing this and i'm doing that and then they wind up in the in an apartment with the black panthers and you know like it really starts and that's when that you know boyfriend hits her and he starts beating him up and then you know they throw him out and then the you know that that's one of those things that gets a little clunky and then but here comes innocent uh forest again by saying sorry i ruined your black panther party meaning he just doesn't understand what black panther party means um the other thing i struggle with jenny is the whole iteration where she's finally worn out you know she's a complete and total mess and comes back to his house and he puts her up and they're, you know, they're rekindling this thing. But she says, you know, you're left wondering, does she really love him or not really? You know, what's her? And then ostensibly sleep together. And then she leaves in the morning after like, really? Like at that point, it's hard to sympathize with her because at this point to make that conscious decision is not about the rough years you had 20 years ago. It's about, you know. Yeah, that was the one departure that I was like so confused on. I was like, everything you see, like what's happening, like 
you can back up why she's leaving, why she's moving on. And then for this one, I'm like, really? <laughs> I do have a read on this one. She didn't feel she was good enough for him because she even, she even says that when he asks her to marry him, that he doesn't really want that. So even though she has this love and affection for him, again, whenever she gets close to anything, she runs. That's what she does. And again, he's sitting there sleeping, a happy guy finally with the woman he loves and boom, she's gone. It's I, While I love this movie, well, I shouldn't say love, while I enjoy this movie, she frustrates the heck out of me every time I watch it, every time. And I know she needs to be there for this movie to flow the way it flows, but it is infuriating. But that's the one part of this film that always gets me. She thinks she's no good for him, and that might be genuine, but then you were doing him a favor by keeping the child a secret from him for six years. Well, he's running across the country a few times. Well, yeah. He's saving all true. the clippings. Four and times, three Nick. years. Four times. That's Four times. <laughs> across the Mississippi. Uh, you know? but, but, it's but, only three years, and I could get Tom to tell you how many months and how many days. is. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I understand. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's part of it, but it's, it was frustrating. Yeah. No, the thing that always kills me too, is when she finally sees the light, she has a terminal disease. Yeah. Like it, that's what it took for her to see the light and come home so he could take care of her. And so it's just like, oh my gosh, I know it's supposed to be tragic, but you know what? It is tragic. <laughs> well, and then she did, you know, finally marry him you know way at the end when there was a you know not going to be a ton of life left but you're left you're kind of left wanting a little bit at that point you know i mean going back to again tom's initial thoughts on it like she's the villain <laughs> like without a doubt like how she acted throughout the whole the whole thing and the fact that Laura still like forgave her She's like a lightning rod for bad vibes. Like she, yeah. she draws him and the closer he gets, he's actually doing pretty well in life when he's not with her. And she kind of does screw it up every time. Although I will say at the end, they try to tie it in with the child. So that was like the one thing that made his life better. But yeah, he had quite the journey to get there. And something's very positive. I mean, apparently we're led to believe he's like a multimillionaire and all those other things. He's cutting the grass for free. <laughs> so a gazillionaire. Yeah, like some kind of ridiculous amount of, of money. Well, they invested in a fruit company. Some yes. kind of fruit company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a nice which, little game. Which is funny like because that. that joke, depending on when you watch this movie, may not have aged well. Because at one time, Apple was the king of the world. They almost went out of business. Their, their stock was nothing if you saw it later. And then they are where they are today. So depending on when you saw this film, that, that joke may not have landed. That is correct. Roughly speaking, 10 years after that movie, it wouldn't have been as great a joke. And now it's brilliant again. <laughs> yeah. Another 10 years it's later. It's funny how right. that happens. Right. It is funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she's also the uh what's it, the dulcinea i had to look, look her up dulcinea was the mm -hmm. girl that don quixote is in pursuit of but in in the in that book uh, in, in don quixote um she's not an attractive girl she's sort of the local farm girl she's just she's just someone and he reinvents her in her imagine in his imagination as this this lady this damsel that he has to save and there's something going on like that here where, where Jenny is not this sort of 
uh, damsel in distress. I mean, she's in distress, but she yeah, just distress. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it's a you know his version of her is probably nothing really like the version that this that this woman actually is, and yet you know he makes her into his Dulcinea. He makes her into this figure of romantic pursuit, and he becomes her her knight in shining armor on several occasions, and in the end ultimately he becomes that um it's just odd that in don quixote it's you know it's a joke right and we're kind of poking fun at that convention the idea of like this damsel in distress you know uh th this idea of the kind of uh, uh the the madonna complex where we rise raise this woman up as this kind of almost angelic type thing that we need to protect and, and worship blah 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 um, when in fact none of that is true that's that's all just kind of a fiction uh forrest is doing something similar in this except the movie seems to be rooting for him or supporting this idea as if the delusion itself is something we need to appreciate as opposed to revealing the falseness of of some other worldview it's time for movie rent to put things in perspective keep in mind when I saw this movie, I'm, uh, what, three, four, 27 years old. I grew up mm, teens. Tom Hanks was a silly TV actor. And then he was making movies like Bachelor Party and all these other really silly, fun. The Money Pit? The Money Pit. The Money Pit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Two weeks, two weeks. What's the one with the dog? Wasn't there one with a dog? Turner and Hooch. There you go. Yeah. It's not far from this time. <laughs> hmm. Then he comes out and makes that that movie Philadelphia, which is oh. a, a something else. It is something else. And it was kind of interesting. And then this came out the year after that. So, but him being, it, it was a real palpable thing that he was becoming this real serious or you know dramatic actor yeah dramatic but and, and more uh legitimate at, because don't forget that's a good from bosom buddies the tv show that he starred in playing a woman so he could live in a woman's hotel along with his um uh roommate that was only that was only 10 or 11 years before before <laughs> philadelphia was made and this was made so it was really between that and the special effects, which we totally take for granted now. Late 80s, early 90s is when we first started moving away from making these effects physically to actually doing them with computers. Because keep in mind, the internet was brand new. <laughs> PCs were brand new as far as being kind of capable in 1994. Mm. So. I'm being haunted by modem connecting sounds. Yeah, that's right. That, that sound. Is anyway. 308 and 408? Was that the series? The MS DOS 3. Oh, wow. Was it 311? That's a different podcast, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I was going to mention was I appreciated the use of music in, in this movie. Um, music was part of the timeline. They also used it as part of the, um, you know, part of the lyrics in the specific songs or the feeling of the song. Um, that Nilsson song always hits me. Everybody's talking and seen Midnight Cowboy and that and that. And it really was well in that scene. And some of the other scene, I, I hear some of those door songs and I think about Jenny, you know, um, 
and Leonard Skinner standing on the, on that ledge and leaving, you know, leaving her boyfriend who's got a needle in his arm. Um, actually that actor, it's a non-speaking part is actually one of the actual members of Leonard Skinner is in that scene, oh. um, pulling the needle out of his arm. Um, but, uh, but I thought music was, was well used both the period music and that, you know, that, um, I'll go so far as to say sappy, but some of the original scoring was very emotional scoring at the beginning and at the end of the movie. I thought the film used music very, very well. I will say when they're in Vietnam, I felt like I got transported into a war movie in the middle of, of Forrest Gump. So I did get that vibe that just, we've seen so many of those type movies, but it, it did follow those notes and, and the music was a big part of that. Um, one random and, and subtle thing that I kind of picked up on was just the people that he was telling his stories to on the bench. Like, I feel it was interesting. Like I felt at the beginning, the first lady that he was speaking to just didn't seem to care about the story. And then you continued to see like how interested everybody was as it like progressed. The lady um, on at the last lady literally just was like, yeah, there'll be another bus. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like totally changed her plans. So, and then like looking at it today, like in Philadelphia, definitely wouldn't happen but even looking down in North Carolina where I'm originally from like it's interesting to kind of correlate to see if something similar would happen would you be able to strum up that conversation with somebody today and interest them in your life maybe in Greenbow Alabama but I I don't know about up here (laughs) probably nowhere else (laughs) by the way they had quite the estate I mean his driveway was like really long and it was a big house yeah I know her father his father just went on vacation but What's the backstory there? Was she some kind of Southern belle at one point? I wasn't thinking that 30 years ago, but I'm looking at that. And if you notice at the end of the movie, there's all these extra mailboxes. So even though you don't see it, you're led to believe they subdivided the land and built other homes because instead of just their mailbox, there's now five or six mailboxes. Um, But that's exactly when I saw that driveway and all that land, I'm like, wow, you could subdivide that and, um, really make a lot of money profit they, they even <laughs> mentioned it though in the beginning that she was like a modern modern day bed and breakfast owner like they subletted yeah. the room so and yeah. then him which talk, talking to the first lady about where his name came from like i would not be surprised if they had a plantation at one point like had much that's true right which again he's sharing that. this to <laughs> Oh, yes. African-American woman. It's like, yes. total, again, totally oblivious. He has no idea. Uh, they just like right. to dress up as ghosts. Yeah, oh my even gosh. the horses. So it was. <laughs> and that's what gets me by on this movie is all of those little cool things. You know, even the, the, the bus driver who in the beginning has a cigarette hanging out of her mouth and at the end of the movie is chewing gum. Now I'm thinking, is that Nicorette? Did she just quit or is she on gum now and has been for a while? But those little hooks is what made it a, fu- you know, uh, a fun ride to, to watch all of those little interesting things. That was a good catch. I totally missed that. I that did transition. Too. Did they have Nicorette in 1984? I, you know what? I don't believe they did. So we're going to go with the more positive that it was Juicy Fruit <laughs> <laughs> and not Nicorette. That's a much more positive look, Tom. I'm being very negative. Being very <laughs> not negative. Not at all. <laughs> I like the idea of her actively quitting. She's... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. She's the first person who's kind to him, right? Who's not his mother. Correct. Mm-hmm. He also introduced himself so they wouldn't be strangers. Yeah. They didn't go into it, but 
He was prepared. Like he was prepared. Yeah. He went right in. Yes. Which went over to his son too. Like they carried that all the way through. Yep. 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 I'd like to once again, congratulate our winner of the week, which was Tom in top form. I think we just missed one question. Yeah. Yeah. Got all the big pointers here. So congratulations, Tom, on your favorite film. Thank you. <laughs> Did I win Joker also? My other favorite film? I can't remember. This movie is like 10 times better than Joker, so that's fine. <laughs> you can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Have you ever felt like just running? Why or why not? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Steve and Nick, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15, and check out our sister podcast, Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. I can also be found on Twitter at the nicknamed. Join us next time as we continue with biopics when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1993, 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Hey. Next week, we'll be discussing 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Tom, how was your watch? It was great. I always loved this movie. I think I first saw this movie when I was a, a teenager or a preteen. It came out when I was 10. So but I couldn't, I couldn't have seen it earlier. And I love this movie when I was a, when I was a kid or whenever I, I saw it. And as an adult, I became more interested in especially the Goldbergs and um, listening to and, and learning about the variations. I had uh, still have somewhere the the double CD set of Gould's two recordings of, of the Goldbergs, along with a rather extensive and quite humorous interview he did for the Canadian Broadcast Company, I think, or corporation rather. And so I also have a fondness for, as I got older, like postmodern literature that replicates musical stylings. So there's this great little bit from William Gass in his novel, The Tunnel, in which he makes a fugue in the middle of this, this work. There's one chapter that's written as a fugue. And this movie's postmodern play with the uh, theme and variation, or I shouldn't say theme and variation, but rather the ground bass style of the original Goldbergs is tremendously fun. Seeing this movie again after not knowing anything about ground bass style or or Pasacalia or anything like that. And then coming back to it after learning those things and then watching it and then watching how a musical form can be transmediated into a cinematic form was, was incredibly enjoyable. And also Colin Fiore's is wonderful in this. <laughs> he's, uh, he's absolutely charming in, in every scene. Uh, I, I, there's certain little things I, I do have trouble with, but I, I will I will wrap it up and move on. Uh, KJ, how was your first watch? Uh, it was pretty good. It was on my laptop. Um, it's a choppy movie. I mean, it's it's not you know it's not a movie. It's it's a bunch of short films. Let's. Um, I guess it kind of tells a cohere 
cohesive story. Um, but Tom, so for next week, how how are you coming up with questions? Are there four of these short films I should be revisiting before we uh, hop into this? And what's a fuge? This is the first time I'm hearing this fugue, word. Fugue. A fugue. A fugue. Oh, I wrote it down. A fuge. A f- <laughs> <laughs> We're going to listen to a fuge. <laughs> I don't know what that is either. I got a good but, feeling um, about next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was my watch. How about you, Ryan? Well, man, now I'm feeling like I might just win this thing. I know what a fugue <laughs> is. I didn't realize I was going to be so far ahead of the game. Um, I thought this movie was delightful. It's just so great to see what, like, I actually don't know how much business the movie did, but, um, you know, a director who did something kind of experimental with um, a, you know, relatively mainstream film. I also was excited to watch it. My partner Eli was a is a classically trained um, guitarist, and he was in musical school, music school. And he said the kids used to watch this in the dorm, which I just cannot get over the amazing visual. Like, what a bunch of beautiful nerds watching this movie instead of like Apocalypse Now, you know, just like big party with a pizza and watching like. 32 short films about Glenn Gould like what's up next shine like what is this <laughs> it's just like the weirdest door movie so um so I just really just delighted in that whole you know the whole ask the learning about everything with the, the whole music world that came with it how about you Nick what do you think when I watched this film I knew one thing this was a film that Tom would love and I was right I don't know how to explain it even more, but I was like, this movie is so Tom. And as another transition went into another part of the short films, I'm like, Tom would really like this. Oh, I think Tom would like this one too. This one is something Tom would like. However, I don't know if Nick liked it. (laughs) I'm not sure what I'm missing, but maybe it's the lack of understanding or appreciation for this style of art or music. But uh, yes, I made it through and we'll see how it goes on the leaderboard next week. In the movie, it's different for some reason. <laughs> um, also like at one point he goes into space and then, um, it like the the when he comes back to to earth like the space capsule gets lost so he ends up on a cannibal's island then he befriends a monkey and him and the monkey become good friends and like become friends with the cannibals for a few years and then he returns with the monkey to jenny but he decides he likes the monkey more so he leaves jenny and forrest jr off on their own this sounds like a sequel that steve made no offense Steve. yeah (laughs) (laughs) it does sound like something yes yeah and it's Sequel, there's a lot of like stuff too, but Jenny's ghost becomes a prominent character in the sequel. Obviously, oh, that's what yeah. I'm oh, you know, And so. Forrest Jr. can see her. Uh. <laughs> no, if he can. You're going to tie that in no matter how, <laughs> no matter what you have to do. Oh, and there's another one coming out, a remake in uh, Bollywood. So yeah, coming out that was really interesting that you said that. I couldn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't know anything about that. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's based upon the book, so I wonder if it's going to be more more ribald. Really di- well, complete. It's probably it'd be a different movie. Yeah, yeah. If it's in Bollywood. They'll probably be dancing a lot more too. You know. <laughs> <laughs>